This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. Among the California wildfires, the Midwest spring floods, and our recent hurricanes, the insurance industry is handling many tens of thousands of claims. Catastrophe claims are especially complicated and increasingly expensive. Among the latest Insurance Research Council statistics, while claims frequency has fallen over the past 20 years, claim severity, which is the average cost per paid claim, is up almost 400%. The average claim that cost $2,600 back in 1997 now cost around 12000 or more dollars in 2018. We know that one of the cost drivers here in Florida is litigation. Many of you that follow the Florida Insurance Roundup know that we've talked long and hard about the assignment of benefits abuse. We call that AOB abuse. Florida's one-way attorney fees and bad faith statutes also contribute to often unnecessary, expensive litigation. That adds to claim cost and ultimately consumer insurance premiums. But what if we could bypass most of that litigation expense? What if we could get that claim closed faster and get the payment in the hands of the policyholder faster? I think it's in the best interest of all consumers that we do everything we can to keep claims out of the court system. So today on the Florida Insurance Roundup, We're joined by a wonderful gentleman with one proven answer, Bruce Blitman. He's a certified mediator, arbitrator, and umpire from Palm Beach County, and he has the law office of Bruce Blitman. Bruce, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for the invitation, Lisa. It's a great pleasure to be with you. You're most welcome. So with the higher stakes involved with open insurance claims from recent disasters, I'm looking forward to hearing what role mediation can play in resolving these claims and keeping them out of our already overcrowded court system. But first, Bruce, tell us, how did you get involved in this mediation and how long have you been doing it? Well, I'm aging myself a little bit, but I was one of the first Florida Supreme Court certified circuit civil mediators. I, I took my initial training back in February of 1989. I had gone to law school at the University of Miami, and I had been practicing since 1982. From 1982 up through 1989, I had been involved as an associate with several different law firms, doing a a wide variety of, of different kinds of claims, and it was very interesting. But one of the things that had frustrated me at that point was it seemed that all of the cases I had, they would either get settled on the proverbial courthouse steps after you would put all of your time and and money and energy into preparing for trial, or uh, the parties would would settle it or something would come up, it would be postponed, and it didn't seem that there was any real catalyst for settling the cases until you were on the eve of trial. And I found that very frustrating. And so when I first learned about mediation. There was a a Florida statute, Chapter uh, 44 of the Florida statutes, which enabled the courts to 
assign cases to mediation at, a, at an earlier juncture in the process, it was something that was very interesting to me. And I, I think, in, in answer to your question, what, what really makes this process work is that you have all of the t- decision makers present at the same time, at the same place, in the same room, much earlier on in the process before all of the time and money and aggravation have been invested in the case. So there's a tremendous opportunity to resolve cases when you're getting to them earlier on in the process. I couldn't agree with you more. And I come from a small town, and everything was always settled over a cup of coffee around a table. So I liken mediation to that quite a lot, Bruce. And so how does mediation work? Does Is it something that a judge orders? Do the parties agree to it? What's the process? Well, the process has evolved, Lisa, since back in 1989. Back in 1989, when the statute was brand new, I think that, in general, most of the trial lawyers, the people who were typically uh, going to court litigating, both for plaintiffs and defendants, they were very skeptical about the process. And I think many of the judges were as well, because they figured if, if they as judges with authority who were wearing robes couldn't get cases resolved, how could these neutral third parties who were not judges, who didn't have any formal authority, how could they possibly help the parties and their lawyers uh, resolve their cases? And what has happened slowly, it didn't happen immediately, but what began to happen is as lawyers began to, uh, they were ordered to use the process, as they got better at the process of, of, of talking to one another instead of just yelling at one another, they found that they were able to get their cases into a forum of resolution much earlier. They could settle their cases earlier. They were able to either put more money into their clients' pockets at an earlier stage in the process, or they were able to save their Uh, If they were insurance carrier representatives, they could save money by putting that money into the plaintiff's pocket without litigation costs, and it became a a way to more efficiently move claims. And so it became a very uh, successful process. Everybody was happy. The courts were happy. They were able to move their dockets, and the lawyers were happy because they were able to keep uh, their clients satisfied, and you could move through the process much more quickly. It was an efficient way. You know, I recall back, I've been around since Hurricane Andrew and before Mm -hmm. in 1992, 93, and then the 04 and 05 storms. And it seems as though we as a state initiate these mediation centers almost too far along in the process. I know we have ongoing what I'll call daily mediation you know, for daily claims, dog bites, thefts, that kind of thing. But it seems that when a storm hits, we should probably, maybe this is something you and I can do on a future podcast, talk about having immediate mediation uh, with respect to what we call the the disputed amount. As you know, Florida has a law that says in 90 days, the insurance company must pay the undisputed amount and that leaves a balance that could be disputed, and maybe that's how we can more quickly get into a more formal mediation process before the suit happens. So that brings up my next question. I know that you have said, and I continue to preach, that pre-suit mitigation 
you know, is the answer to keeping these claims out of the overcrowded court system. How, do, how does that, how do we encourage that? How do we help you with that messaging, Bruce? What would you say in a public forum, if you could, to advocate for that? Well, I, I think the, the best way to advocate for it is to tell the stories, the success stories. And there are many. Uh, you mentioned Hurricane Andrew. After Hurricane Andrew, there was a, a mass catastrophe kind of mediation program that was set up. And because of the high volume of claims, there, it, it, was, it was really a remarkable setting. There were different venues where uh, the, the public adjusters would meet with the, the claim representatives and the attorneys, and they would have a roster of mediators who would get together and they would move through the claims. And what they were able to do in a, in a relatively short period of time, I don't recall the, the specific number of Hurricane Andrew claims, but it was a, an enormous amount. But by getting those parties together sooner rather than later, before the litigation ensued, not, not every case was resolved at mediation, but many of them were. And by getting through that vast volume, people were able to get on with their lives much more quickly. And as a result of what happened through Hurricane Andrew and, and, and experiences people had with uh, settling their litigated cases uh, earlier on in the litigation process as a result of mediation, many carriers changed the way they began to practice. There were some very proactive carriers that would say, hey, let's get together with the claimant's lawyer before they file the lawsuit. And that was a very effective way of getting decision makers together. And it was a way to, if you could resolve a case, a case early on, you were able to put the same money into that client's pocket, if not more, than they might have uh, gotten a year or two down the road after the case was litigated and after the costs and expenses and, and emotional toll had to be taken out. So it, 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 it worked, and we began to see a change in mentality. Uh, parties were saying, let's mediate. They became more aware of it in the culture. I don't know if you remember that movie, The Wedding Crashers, that famous scene in the very beginning where uh, the two guys, the stars of the movie, were actually family mediators. They weren't very good at it, but they actually had a scene uh, like that in a movie, that mediation could be used to resolve cases, and I thought that was very good. I love it. I love the um, analogy between the two. You know, uh, there was testimony in the Florida Senate and House a week and a half ago that almost 40 cents of every dollar that is involved in a claim, when it goes to lawsuit, that 40 cents goes to the plaintiff's lawyer, and there's, of course, defense fees and court costs, so that number can go up. So you could safely guess maybe half of the claim dollar goes to the lawyers uh, in a disputed, litigated claim. So from your, what does it cost for mediation? If we were to do a cost-benefit analysis... What's the, I don't want to say average cost, but what's the... Well, it's, it's, it it's, hard, to, it's hard to come to an average cost, but, but the way it would work is this. Typically, the mediators are paid on an hourly basis. Mediators cannot be paid on a contingent fee basis uh, because then they would have some sort of stake in the outcome of the case, and a mediator has to be completely neutral. So while the plaintiff's attorney 
uh, is typically in, in a personal injury kind of case on a contingency fee. The, the amount of that fee may vary, and, and usually, according to the, the rules for lawyers, you, you can't charge more than certain amounts on, on a contingency, and if a case is not in litigation, typically the amount of the contingency fee will be less. So instead of being a 40% fee, if the case is litigated and it goes to trial, uh, that fee may be a third, it may be 20%, it may be 25%, but it may be lower. If you're, if you're pre-suit or an early suit, you're probably not investing the amount uh, in, in litigation costs, the expenses of, of, of taking depositions and traveling and all of those other things. And so you're able to reduce expenses. As far as the mediator's fees, they, they vary dramatically. I've heard of some mediators charging as, as little as $125 an hour, which is what it was when I started back in 1989. And I've heard of some mediators charging as much as five or six or $700 an hour, depending upon the complexity of the case. So that fee will vary. But if you can mediate a case and resolve that case in five hours, and typically, if there are two parties in the case, each will pay for one half of the mediator's fee. Those mediation fees are relatively small in comparison to what it would cost to litigate that case, uh, you know, endlessly. So there are uh, there's a relatively low cost of trying to mediate uh, a case early on, and the potential savings to everybody is quite great. I love it. And I think that cost-benefit analysis is what we need to work on more vociferously as we talk about mediation versus litigation. Another recent development, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Bruce, is that during the 2019 legislative session, the legislature moved the threshold of cases that are currently going into county into civil court down to county court. So let me explain that. Right now, until January 1, a case that has a threshold of $15,000 or under goes to county court. Correct, that threshold's yeah. going to go to 30000 January 1, which means more cases will go into county court. The theory behind mm. that and the discussion in legislative circles was that the county court's dockets are not as busy as the circuit court dockets are. Now, mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to, county judges say, really? And don't agree, and some you know they're all off the record, obviously. So I'm curious sure. your take. When you move more cases to county court, what in, do you think that'll? Do you think that's going to necessitate? Well, I think what's going to happen is when the county court judge walks into his or her courtroom, they're going to be seeing very few open seats. I think that there will be more claims that are going to now be adjudicated by these county court judges. What that means is that they're going to need assistance in moving through those dockets. And one of the ways that courts have been doing that over the last 30 years historically has been with the use of of mediators. Some of the courts have sufficient resources where they may have an in-house full-time court mediator. If that's the case, that court mediator may be extremely busy They may need an additional mediator, either a full-time mediator or a part-time mediator, or they may need to rely on a core of uh, volunteer mediators, part-time volunteers, or maybe get some people who are willing to mediate claims at a reduced fee. 
because you're going to have a lot of claims and, and to go through the mediation process it does take some time so to do a case properly you're going to usually need at least a couple of hours to mediate these cases before they're adjudicated and of course the judges would love to get as many of those cases resolved as possible so that there will be sufficient time on their, their trial dockets to hear the cases that require more time. I, I see where you're headed, and I think the um, what got our attention as we talked to various legislators about it this past session about House Bill 337 was that in the panhandle, the 11 affected counties, I think in each one of those counties except for one, there was only one county court judge, and then you add the additional burden 150,000 claims, and let's just say conservatively 30% of those, 20% of those go to suit, which I know if you and I had our way to go to mediation, we'll work on that together. That's what's going to actually clog these courts. So let's just keep an eye out on that. I'm heading over to Panama City this Saturday to a town hall meeting. Uh, Many consumers will be there. I'm actually picking up a couple of consumers on my way that want to go talk to regulators and get some help with their their issues. So I certainly will keep you posted. We'll kind of close out with this. Tell our audience the various forms of what I like to call ADR, alternative dispute resolution, knowing that yours and my heart's in the same place. Keep it out of court at all costs. What are the other avenues and how do they work? There are so many different rosters to resolve different kinds of cases. Uh, The American Arbitration uh, Association has all kinds of adjudicatory bodies. They have an arbitration process. They have an early neutral evaluation process. Uh, They have appraisal. This is something that uh, years ago a lot of insurance companies would have a process called appraisal where if the, if the, the insured and the insurance company could not come to an agreement on the, on the value of a claim, they would go through an appraisal process, and that's a little bit complicated. We can save that for another day, but that was something that could be used. Uh, when we had a foreclosure crisis, when we had the mortgage foreclosure uh, crisis, really from 2010 to 2013 and 2014, a number of programs were developed uh, throughout the state to try to help people resolve those claims. So a residential mortgage foreclosure mediation program was created. The Florida Department of Financial Services has created a roster of mediators to help resolve all kinds of claims involving insurance. And you mentioned that, I think, at the very beginning of your program, Lisa. But that is a very vibrant program that's been going on forever. Uh, the, the, The federal bankruptcy courts have developed Uh, rosters of mediators to deal with loss mitigation programs. They call them LMM, loss uh, mitigation mediation programs, uh, to try to help people stay in their homes. And again, this was starting around 2013. So the bankruptcy courts in the Southern District of Florida and around the state uh, were created to help that. We're seeing mediation and alternative dispute resolution in, in so many different ways. That's actually I go that, on, I think. I, well, that's actually the you know the best news that we have is I think as we continue to grow and mature, again keeping the disputes out of the already clogged court system is our goal. And Bruce, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today and and providing your wonderful expertise and what I'll call just everybody getting to yes what we often call a win-win-win and how we can, you know, stem this growth in litigation in Florida. In fact, 
I don't know if you know this, Bruce, but Florida went from 1,400 AOB-related lawsuits, these assignment of benefits lawsuits, in 2011 to more than to almost 30,000 in 2016. And so we've just got, you know, litigation is is growing and it grows because the lawyers involved get paid. In fact, I often I'm working on another project where we're trying to get a certain companies to the table because everybody's spending so much money on the lawyers. Nothing against my great friends that are lawyers, but perhaps we can get to a better place for consumers in general. I think mediation, you know, with the right attitude and skill from folks like you to get folks to talk is very appro- very appropriate and is the most useful approach we have for this win-win. Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little biased about that, but I agree with you. I, I remember one of my professors from, from law school, the late professor Manette Massey, used to say, never subject your client to litigation. And so I think there are now these many other mechanisms, other ways in which we can address disputes in a civil and compassionate way. And I think the more we do that, the better. Absolutely. And so I encourage it early on. I, I believe that we should be teaching uh, mediation and dispute resolution and conflict resolution in elementary school, teaching our children how to peaceably resolve their disputes in an age-appropriate way, and that should continue uh, the rest of their lives. I think it, it, it will make for a kinder, gentler, and, and a nicer world in which to live. Wonderful. So I thank you for this forum, and uh, if I can ever be a resource in the future, don't hesitate to call me. and Keep me posted on your on your uh, legislative efforts. Thank you, Bruce. And I'd love to hear what our audience thinks. If you think about it, we take notes so you don't have to. You can look at our show notes at our website, and we want to hear from you. You know, you can call us with any comments or questions. You can simply dial 850-388-8002. That's 850-388-8002. Or send me an email. I answer them. I try to do it within 24 hours. It's Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. That's Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Florida Insurance Roundup. But I just thank you so much for being a part of this and for listening to what we consider as part of our heart. Because as you know, we've got a passion for policy and client success. I'm Lisa Miller, and I'm signing off until next time. Thank you. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.